Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. If you're watching the replay or on YouTube, thanks so much for being a part of the Menopause Movement. Now, today we're going to welcome Dawn Pinsack to the podcast. Dawn's a former burned out teacher, and she's on a mission to help bring simple stress management techniques to everyone. She's a certified yoga instructor, master EFT practitioner, and resilience building leadership coach. She loves blending a variety of tools as she works with private clients or groups to help them ditch stress, add more peace, and calm to their lives and live a happier, healthier life. She's also founder of the Holistic Sisterhood Community, a community where women have access to support, resources, and wellness, tools to live a life of resilience and wellness. And during the podcast, we discuss Dawn's journey out of teaching the stress and trauma of the premature birth of her daughter, and the difficulty of dealing with a critically ill infant. Her year of undiagnosed illness and how she felt bad all the time. Dealing with guilt. How she discovered EFT slash tapping. And the dramatic changes that happened for her when she started implementing this tool in her life. We go into what is EFT and how many symptoms in our lives are physical manifestations of stuck energy how tapping can open emotional challenges and doors into self-understanding, the tapping process and the self-acceptance that can occur as a result of tapping, how tapping when done properly can put the body into optimal shape to heal itself and stay to the end to find out what is imagine tapping and how to start using it. At the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is released. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for all of the five-star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review the podcast. This helps more women to find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause. No one should have to go it alone. And thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. I appreciate you. So Don, thanks for coming to the menopause movement podcast. I'm excited to have you here because you're going to talk a little bit about something I know very little about, which is always fun to learn something new. And, you know, you're a bit young for menopause, you know, you haven't gone through menopause yet, but I still think that there's some really valuable information that you can teach us. And so let's hear a little bit about your background. You were a teacher, right? Yes. And then you got burned out and came into a new, you know, you kind of reinvented yourself, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what led up to that. You know, how you became a teacher, how you became disillusioned, all those things. I want to hear about that. Okay. So I actually went to school. I had always wanted to be a pediatrician actually. So I went to college as a bio major. I hated chemistry. I just, it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't figure it out. So I graduated with a finance degree. I know totally random. In my senior year of college, I decided that I really wanted to be a teacher, but I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. Like I wanted to have fun all day. Right. So I applied and was accepted to the New York City Teaching Fellows Program, but they wouldn't let me teach kindergarten. They were like, you have a finance background. You have to teach middle school math. So I taught middle school math for a couple of years in New York City. I absolutely loved that job. It was so hard because I was going to grad school at the time too. It was just so rewarding. 
And then I continued my career as a mostly sixth grade math teacher for 10 years. And in my ninth year of teaching, my daughter was born two months early. So now she was born, like it was all of a sudden, there was nothing that we could do to stop it. Like she was almost born in the car on the way to the hospital. I had no idea I was in labor. And that just started this whole, like this huge transition in my life where, you know, my first child is now in the NICU for an extended period of time. They had no opportunity to give you steroids to mature the lungs or anything. No. Yeah. yeah. So she's born at, yeah. So it was, it was just a whole roller coaster. Where did, you, where did you have her in New York city? No, she was in New Jersey. She's Morristown Memorial Hospital in New Jersey. Okay. We moved here in my fourth year of teaching. You know, my whole life was kind of easy-ish. Like I had never had a major, major trauma that had happened up until that point. So I didn't develop coping skills or I didn't really have like emotional resiliency in my back pocket. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, like, of course I went through hard moments and, you know, there were ups and downs, like everything, but I didn't really have those tools to pull out when I really needed them. So I didn't know what I didn't know about how trauma manifests in the body, how stress manifests in the body, how you have to be actively taking care of yourself. You know, even if things are going totally crazy around you. So what happened when she was about 18 months old, I started developing a whole bunch of really weird symptoms. I had horrible like skin issues with like acne that was like all over my, my neck and like bottom of my chin. And it hurt, like really, really, really hurt. I started getting really dizzy. I was having issues with vertigo. So I would be teaching, like teaching my sixth graders and holding on to like the chalkboard or the wall. Like I could barely walk, just praying that, you know, they would all listen that day. It would be an easy day. And I started doing all this research. I went to tons of doctors, specialists. I had my ears checked. I had CAT scans and MRIs and blood work, all these things going on. And nobody could quite figure it out. You know, it was like, oh, you have Lyme's disease. And then a day later, no, that's not it. Like, it's not Lyme's. And then a couple of days later, something else. So I went through this year of being really sick, but not having any diagnosis or no treatment, right? Like nobody could obviously treat anything that like they didn't know what was wrong. So then I decided one day, I'm like, you know, I have a really young daughter. I wasn't able to get pregnant again. We were trying to get pregnant. And, um, you know, I just couldn't, like, it wasn't happening where everything seemed really easy with my daughter. It was like, Oh, we tried and boom, here we go. You know? And so I'm like, there's definitely something going on with my body, you know? So that's actually when I found tapping. And so I'm really excited to share it with your, your audience because I had no idea what I was doing with the tool. I just found some YouTube videos. I started tapping and then all of a sudden my symptoms started going away. My face cleared up. I started losing some weight. I got pregnant again. I felt great. My body was good. I didn't have to like push the baby carriage, you know, holding on to it like I was, you know, going to fall over at any time. I started my ears, everything, my balance, everything just started to clear up and I thought, wow, this is really exciting that I got my life back. You know, I can be a happy healthy mom. I can chase a toddler, you know. And I just felt great. So then I decided to leave the classroom. I had left the classroom for a time to do curriculum work, which was a remote job. So I was able to really 
have a lot less stress and be able to heal. So that was such a huge blessing to have the opportunity to work from home for a little bit. And then I decided to get certified and trained in tapping. So I want to talk for a second about your lack of ability to conceive. And, you know, Joe Dispenza talks about, now I don't know if it's in his books. I mean, Joe Dispenza's got plenty of really good books, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, Becoming Supernatural, where he teaches, you know, people don't know this, but he's really teaching Kundalini yoga, right? That's what he teaches. So he helps to, you know, he says, we're going to get the, we're gonna get the soul out of the body. And he teaches a, a method to, to bring the soul out of the body, but he does it all with science. And what I think is really, really important is that when we can back up these things with science, it makes a big difference. And so when we hook up our brains, right, we're in these high stress positions, we stay in the beta brainwave. Okay. And when we're constantly in beta and when we fall asleep, we go from alpha to theta to delta. Okay. These are known states. But for the most part, when we're thinking, when we're problem solving, when we're doing things like this, we are only accessing a part of our brain that is kind of high frequency. And the higher the frequency, the more the stress, right? And so with this epidemic of, and because you're not alone, I mean, there's a lot of women who are in your age group who were able to have a baby really easy the first time and then try it again and just, just can't. What people don't know is that if you can really pay attention to your stress levels, what you eat, how you move, and bringing down, you know, bringing your, figuring out a way to get your body into alpha, the alpha brain waves, when you can do that, then that can actually change your physiology to the point that you're now ready to conceive. Because if your body sees that you're in stress all the time, you're constantly releasing cortisone from, you know, or the flight and fight from your adrenals, there's no way you're, you're not ready to, you know, grow a baby inside of you, right? So I wanted to address that first because, you know, you saw all the manifestations, all the physical manifestations that come from being in this really, really stressed out, like, oh my God, this weird trauma happened and I don't know how to bounce back from it. And it's so important and I'm really excited to, you know, to start sharing a little bit of, you know, these techniques with the audience because I was just talking to another guest and I, I said, you know, life is like a series of traumas. Now that, and she called me a pessimist, but, but if you look at it, you know, it's like not that life is horrible because it's not. Life is amazing and it, it all depends on how we look at it. But our ability to change the meaning of anything that we perceive as bad, the sooner we can change the meaning of that to something that is more positive, then we can like, you know, move on with our lives. You know, when we start to, you know, we suffer when we apply meaning, right? And so removing that meaning and or shifting that meaning can make the, you know, be a world of difference for us. So, so you had a year of undiagnosed illness that manifested itself as many different types of stresses in your body. So you said Lyme disease was one that you got diagnosed with, but you didn't have Lyme, right? So you had like joint pain and things like that. Right. Yeah, it was like fatigue, dizziness, vertigo, the skin issues, my white yeah. blood cell counts were like all over the place. So another doctor said, just for a second, he said that he thought it might have leukemia. If your white blood cell count was low, but that could also be a symptom of ehrlichiosis, which is another tick-borne illness. But that usually comes with fever and high liver function tests, if I recall. I'm a yeah. surgeon, I'm not a medicine so doctor. It, so. <laughs> yeah, so it was just like everything was out of whack. Everything was like wonky, 
but there wasn't like a specific thing where they could say, okay, well you have these three things, which yep. could be this or, you know what I mean? And actually the other thing that I think really helped is I started seeing a chiropractor notice that my brainstem was all out of whack. Like it was like, everything was just totally. You so know, you, the cervical spine, you mean? Yeah. So brainstem is the brainstem. It doesn't move. The OA, so occipital Atlantis joint, which is right in that same spot. That's still more, I mean, I want to just use the right terminology. So a chiropractor works on alignment of the spine primarily. The very top of the spine, yeah. I guess where all those yeah. nerves the OA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the brainstem is right behind it, but there's nothing fundamentally wrong with our brainstem. Our brainstem does its thing. And if our joints are out of alignment, it can maybe cause some, some issues. So, so I, I'll agree there, but we got to <laughs> so, be careful with terminology. I'm, I'm really, you know, a stickler for terminology. Bring that the science <laughs> and the correct terms. It's something where the nerves were like all kind of out of whack right in the back of my neck he thought, okay, that might be causing the dizziness. And after a couple of adjustments, the dizziness was gone. I mean, I was struggling for over a year with just a little dizziness to the point where it was like full blown vertigo, you know, the room spinning, everything was, you know, the nausea and everything. So that really also helped with that. So there was the, the physical issue Mm -hmm. with the misalignment. And then there was all, you know, this trauma that had been worked. Right. So I, I don't know if you know this about me, but my son had cancer when he was 21 months and I'm all about resilience. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just because I see my life as a series of traumas because a lot of weird stuff has happened to me for whatever reason, you know, I, I get to grow and I'm happy for all the experiences because, you know, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Right. So those experiences mm-hmm. brought me to where I am, but the trauma of a sick infant of an infant that you're not sure is going to survive, it's heavy. I mean, that's that's really, really heavy. And it's heavy not just on you. It's heavy on the grandparents and the extended family and everyone else. I mean, it's really, really, really heavy. And so let's just talk about what it was like for you with your daughter in the NICU. How long did it take before she became a feeder grower? So she- you remember that term? <laughs> She was in the NICU for 19 days. So it was like the longest three weeks of yeah. my life. I mean, it was so, and especially this first time mom, you know, yeah. everything in her, during the whole pregnancy was perfect. So then to be just, you know, going into labor all of a sudden, and then here she is, was just a big shock. It was really, really hard. And I think a lot, some of the hardest things for me was that she was actually an enormous preemie. She was five, two at two months early. So she was, oh. which yeah. really helped her with the strength that she needed to get stronger. Her size was a huge blessing, but there was so much confusion on my part because like I wasn't able to breastfeed. I just didn't make the milk. And again, I'm sure it was stress related hundred percent, but I just wasn't making any milk. And there wasn't like really support on my end to figure it out. It was like, well, she's a preemie. Like she needs you to breastfeed right now. Like, you know, so like we were trying and trying and trying and it was a constant, like it was just a constant struggle. And I always felt so bad that, you know, she needed formula at that time. She's eight now. So eight years ago, there wasn't like, oh, we can do donor milk or anything like that. But when I saw some of the other NICU moms and our kids were right around the same like gestational age, you know, they were storing, you know, 
bags and bags. Like they just had this overabundance and there was so much guilt around that. And then she, she was failing all of her tests, you know, her hearing test. I'm trying to think of the other things that she was doing that they would do. So I just felt so bad, you know, the whole time. And then she started having the, I think it was called the Brady, like the bradycardia. Yeah. So right when we were about to take her home, you know, they had to keep her a couple of days because then her heart was kind of going and we didn't understand all of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So we had no idea, like my husband and I were not, like I was a teacher at the time. He was a mechanic. So we had no idea what was going on. And like, it wasn't really explained to us as like a normal person. It was very medical and technical. So that just made it more scary. And we had one nurse who was actually an amazing blessing, who was able to really help us understand, you know, as like a normal person. I had no, you know, no clue, but I couldn't hold her for days. I mean, there was so much trauma around, you know, it was a couple days before she could breathe on her own. It was a couple days before we could even touch her. So it was hard. It was so hard. Yeah. I think that there's such a lack in the American Medical Association or the American Medical Society, or what am I trying to say? It's the whole system because doctors are in the hospital all the time. That's where doctors live. You know, that's where we live. That's our livelihood. And we forget I think it's really easy to forget that there's a person on the other end of that diagnosis. And I always, when I was practicing surgery, I would always make sure that whoever I was operating on understood exactly what was going on because having been through, you know, my son being so ill and having to go back and look up everything, everything and, and try, you know, it's, it's like being inducted into a, a whole new language when you have a sick child. So I always made sure that if somebody didn't understand something, I went back and said it again. You know, I'd say it until they got it because it's really, it really is hard to deal with the stress of, you know, your daughter sounds like she was breathing on her own and stuff like that from the beginning, right? So she didn't have to be tubed or she did? No, it took a few days where she okay. did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you basically had this critically ill child who was in an ICU, hit and miss probably day by day. And nobody expects that. No, nobody expects that, you know, you get pregnant, you're going to have a baby and you're going to be a mom. You know, it's like, woohoo. And then, you know, th- things happen. And so, so that's a pretty big stressor. And so then, you know, on top of that, then your body, you know, almost like your body betrayed you by not making milk, right? And so you had to deal with all those, all that guilt and shame around that. And then you brought her home and what happened then? Oh my gosh. So bringing her home was like, it was just crazy. So when she finally came home, she was a little less than five pounds. So she was this teeny little thing. She had to go to the pediatrician's office for weight checks every like three to four days. So, Mm -hmm. so we're taking her there and we kept getting this, the same pediatrician. I didn't know at the time. I was just, whoever was recommended to me. I think then if you actually recommended this particular doctor to me, so we're taking her and I am telling her all these concerns I'm having, like, I can't lay her flat. She will just throw up everything. I forget what some of the other issues, but we had so many different issues with her. And, and then it was like, she's fine. She's fine. She's fine. She's growing a little bit. She's a happy spitter. Everything's fine. You know, she's checking out. Okay. So I'm like, okay, but back of my head, I'm like, I don't know. So we ended up this, we had an appointment. This doctor ended up not being there. We by chance got another pediatrician who spent over 20 years as a, in the NICU as okay. a 
best thing that ever happened. He looked at her, asked me 10 different questions. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So he's like, okay, this is what's going on. So he was able to help me with a lot of things. She, she had torticollis, you know, with her neck, she had her esophageal flap wasn't fully developed, which is why, you know, she was spinning everything up. How she was still gaining weight was kind of a mystery, but he explained all these things to me. And then he taught me like just an everyday normal mom. He taught me a few really easy exercises to do with her to help her strengthen her muscles in her neck. So she was able to use both sides. He also helped me figure out how to let her sleep where she wasn't only on because then she developed the flat spot, right? So it was like, it was just a series of things. Well, as a result of all these things that we didn't know for so long that we were not really doing well, she ended up having severe gross motor delays because she was never flat. She never had tummy time because she didn't like it or she was throwing up or whatever it was. And we didn't know how important it was. She never developed the interest in moving. So then, you know, she's 10 months old. Now she's hypotonic. Now she has low tone. Now she can't sit up. Now she can't, she's not crawling. She's not showing any interest in moving. You know, we just thought like we were so lucky that we had this baby where you could just put her anywhere and she would be there. Like she was was not causing trouble. Like, you know, so then it was those delays happening. And then we found out that uh, she had, even though she wasn't getting ear infections, she had tubes in her ear. So she didn't walk until she was very much older, but it was like this whole spiral of different things that had happened just as a result. We we didn't know what we, you know, we didn't know how important this was or that was. So she was sleeping in the the rocker, which is like the biggest blessing then, but I know how, how terrible it ended up being for us, but she was sleeping in there until she was six months. You know, she was so long story short, the first year was like disappointment after disappointment of like not hitting certain milestones, even though they kept correcting for age, she wasn't hitting milestones. I felt so guilty for not being able to breastfeed for so long. She developed all of these other like issues with like her immune system was terrible. I mean, she was constantly ill. She didn't start daycare till she was much older, but she just had every single thing possible. The skin, the gastro issues, she had to have Zantac for, you know, she almost needed a helmet, but then we ended up dodging that bullet because my pediatrician taught us some very simple PT stuff. She was going to the chiropractor when she was, you know, like two months old. She had her first little thing to help with the trauma of her birth. Like, but then not only did she have her massive issues, I had some really serious issues from her birth because she was fully in the birth canal when we got to the hospital. Mm-hmm. She was sunny side up and she was stuck. So it was like this whole, her whole entire birth was this huge emergency of like, if you don't get her out right now, there's nothing like we cannot get her out. You can't have a C-section. It's not even an option. It's like, so there was the forceps. I'm like hanging from a sheet. There's the vacuum. Like she had all these things happen, which then created, you know, gynecologist calls her the purple unicorn because she was purple and her head was like, she had this big, (laughs) I mean, it was, yeah, the whole experience was just very traumatic. But as a result, I had a lot of pain for a long time, Mm. tons of physical pain. And I kept mentioning it, but it was never like addressed. And I kept asking like, yeah, but 
because she was born sunny signed up and it was the spine to spine and it was so traumatic. Like, I just feel like this is not normal. Like I can't mm. sit. I couldn't sit for almost a year. It's like, no, it's just, you know, your body's just healing. And I don't know if I broke my tailbone, if something happened, but like, there was just so much around like the whole experience of, mm-hmm. of everything. It was really so. So there's no, it's no wonder that you had trouble getting pregnant then because, you know, you had this really horrible experience with childbirth. Yeah. Fast forward then, how did you get into this tapping? I mean, you know, so you had all these problems and you went to the chiropractor and the chiropractor readjusted you and, you know, how did you find out about this stress management technique called tapping? So it was one of those things where I knew I needed something. I'm like, there's got to be something to support me because at this point, I was either going to live with this sickness, this mystery, or I was going to figure it out. So I just happened to be, you know, searching Facebook one night or logging into the internet one night and this thing just popped up and it was like tapping. And then I know we have a mutual friend, James Wedmore, (laughs) right Mm. around that time, he interviewed an EFT practitioner. For the podcast? Yeah, for his podcast, Melanie Moore. And so I'm walking around the neighborhood, pushing the baby stroller. I'm listening to this podcast. And then I started going through the tapping process. I started tapping on these points with Melanie and James. And I'm like, wow, like something's happening in my body. Like I'm feeling really calm, like really settled, centered, grounded. This is really cool. So it was like the combination of that podcast with seeing something pop up from the tapping solution. And I'm like, I need to learn more about this. So I started doing a lot of research. I started using the tool on my own. And then I started noticing the first thing that I noticed was my face, you know, my skin. And I'm like, this is starting to go away. Like I've had this for so long. It was like, I felt like it was part of my identity. Like I'm just the Uh person with this acne, you know, and it started going away. And then my fatigue started lifting. My dizziness started going away. And all of these things just started shifting. And that's when I decided, let me see if, if me not knowing at all how to use this tool, having no idea what I'm doing, I'm just following along to somebody tapping through these points. Let me learn more about how to actually learn how to do this the right way. There has to be something more to this tool. And that's when I went through certification process. So you had a bunch of changes happen just from listening to the podcast and then, you know, searching it on YouTube, that sort of thing. Did you do any other techniques at the same time, like meditation or mindfulness, some sort of spirituality, anything like that at the same time? At that time, I had no idea that this whole world existed. I mean, I was very much a, you know, you go to the doctor, you you take a pill, you get better, right? You listen to the doctor, you always listen to what they say. They know, you know, so I was very much in that mind frame. I really didn't know much about meditation. I really didn't know much about any of that. Like that was so foreign to me. So I, the one thing I did was I started really getting interested in essential oils So like I would have, you know, peppermint, you know, peppermint lemon going during the day. I'd have, you know, those are really the only two things that, that I was using at the time to help me, but I really had no. Yeah. (laughs) So you get started and everything changes for you and you decide to go and get certified. So now I want to kind of get into a little bit of what you wrote on your outline, which is what is EFT tapping? What does EFT stand for? And how does it lower your stress levels? Okay. 
So EFT stands for emotional freedom techniques. It's also more commonly called tapping. So people are probably more familiar with that term. And it's a combination of psychology and acupressure. There's a tapping process where, you know, you identify the issue. Most of the time we start with the physical issue because that's easiest to know, right? Like I feel tired. I feel stressed. I feel anxiety or tightness in my chest. So a lot of times we start with a physical symptom, but we identify the challenge. We acknowledge and accept it. You know, we, in the tapping process, we say something like, even though I feel all this stress in my body, I'm doing a good job. I deeply and completely love and accept myself. So we accept it. Then we go through tapping points to process it and release it. But with tapping, the idea is that we have an energetic system in our body. And when the energy gets stuck, Mm -hmm. then we have some kind of like physical manifestation. Something happens. So physical manifestation as a symptom of stuck energy is nothing new. This is the basis of acupuncture. It's the basis of Chinese medicine. And it's probably the basis of Ayurveda. So these are ancient ways of, of managing things and, and tapping is almost taking acupuncture points and you're just, you know, tapping yep. them. So you don't need needles and stuff, but you are, yeah, you're doing the same exact thing. You're releasing stuck energy. So does this work even if you don't believe in the chakras or, you know, energy medicine? As many, you know, people who are in America, we're supposed to be a Christian nation and, you know, Christians kind of reject the whole like... Eastern Eastern medicine, even though when you look at like revelations where there's seven seals and, you know, seven chakras, you put it all together. But the question is really, does it work even if you don't believe in it? Yes, I love that question. So with tapping, right, as we tap on certain points, we're sending calming waves to the central nervous system, we're helping the body go from that fight, flight, freeze state to the rest, healing, the digest, the parasympathetic nervous system. So a lot of times people, even if they don't believe in it, you really don't, you don't have to believe that like, this is going to change or this is going to help me. But what happens with you that you can't really ignore is that your body physically changes throughout the process. So even if somebody's like, no, like I've had a lot of people, I've done workshops at schools and stuff where teachers are like, I leave it to God, you know, but they feel different as they go through the process. So your body changes physically. You often feel like people feel lighter. They feel like there's a little bit less weight on their shoulders or they can feel the anxiety leaving. So I love sharing tapping with people that are like, no, this is crazy. Like there's no way tapping on my body is going to help me process stress. And I'm like, well, just give it a try and see you know, do it for 30 seconds, see what you notice, what shifts. And a lot of times they do notice something even in a short amount of time. And they're like, okay, well, maybe, like, maybe there's something to this. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's something to this, right? So the question that I have now is if someone is stuck in a shame spiral, say, okay, mm-hmm. somebody who's, who is really filled with a lot of self-loathing and can't get out of their own head, you know, what I like to call a navel gazer, you know, that they're just stuck inside their own problems. How would you recommend tapping for that? Because what, one of the things that happens, and this is the menopause movement podcast, and even though you're not in menopause, I think that you've got some techniques that can really help menopausal women, because what happens is that we're hit with this change that we don't expect. And unlike puberty, which we do expect, we know, you know, we get told that we're going to get this change. With menopause, 
you know, we have a change in our bodies that results in not only a change in the body, but a change in our emotional state. And when we have this change in our emotional state, a lot of times we can end up with a lot of feelings of low self-worth and, you know, identity problems and things like that. And so what would you prescribe, so to say, for somebody who's really stuck in those thought processes? Mm -hmm. Those are great questions. Yeah. You know, we always start with tapping. Like we always start where the person is right now. So if a person is really feeling a lot of shame or even a lot of grief, like, do you notice a lot of people kind of grieving, like this loss of identity, like you said, I know some of my friends who don't have children are, they went through this grieving process of like, this part of my life is over, you know? So see, we always start with where the person is right now, how they're feeling right now. A lot of times we don't really start with the very, very big, heavy emotions. Like you mentioned shame, shame and guilt are kind of like those core emotions that we get to through the process, but we usually don't start there because it's a little bit too heavy for a lot of people. But we start with, you know, how are you feeling right now? A lot of times people will say, well, I feel sad. I feel disappointed. We go through, we process kind of those outer layer of emotions that are on the surface. And then we get deeper into it as we go. The one thing with tapping that happens, and it's so interesting all the time, is that it opens cans. It opens doors that we have no idea where it's going to go. I worked with somebody on postpartum depression and suicide. And the core issue for that was actually grieving the loss of a dog. A dog passed away while she was pregnant. You can't be around like dead bodies. So she can never say goodbye to her dog and like actually close the loop on that dog's life because she was pregnant. So she held a lot of shame and anger at her new baby over that, which I mean, it was just such an interesting spiral of events. But a lot of times with tapping, we open up doors to where the real issues lie, but we can never predict. Like it's just very interesting how things progress that way. But say that tapping creates a safe space to really look at yourself then and pay attention to your issues. Yes. There's a lot of more advanced tapping techniques, which I would say it is definitely a really good idea for people to start this work with a practitioner if they're dealing with very big challenges, because tapping won't re-traumatize if you do it the right way. Like it can open up some really big cans where if you're alone, can be very scary. But when you're working with a practitioner who's familiar with, you know, the tearless trauma technique, movie technique, imagine tapping or, or different things like that, where it takes you very safely into those issues, into those really, really big emotional challenges. And you can safely unwind and, un- and release them, process them. Are you familiar with the book, The Body Keeps the Score? Yes. All right. So in that book, he talks a lot about how, I mean, I haven't gotten to the part where he's in treatment yet. I think I just started it maybe, but I love that book. It's almost like a manifesto against the establishment. It's like, Hey, wait a minute. This, you know, childhood traumas happen and they're the cause of almost all adult psychological diseases. These childhood traumas happen and they're the cause of almost all adult psychological diseases. Yet the APA refuses to give it a DSM. You know, and so he talks a lot about that in the book. And when you start thinking about even, you know, for you, you didn't have any traumatic experiences, but a lot of people do. I mean, you know, you think about it, one in three, one in four girls is sexually molested. 
in their lifetime. And he talks about how, you know, the, the root cause of all psychological disease is seduction of a child by an adult. And that was what Freud found. And then Freud chose to ignore that because it was implicating like the top, the top elite in Vienna at the time. And so he chose to, to move over to something else. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, the point I'm trying to make is that all trauma is stored in the body until we release it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we can use tapping as a way to help release some of this trauma. Have you ever had anyone like uncover repressed memories while you were working with them? Oh my goodness. So yes, there was a woman I worked with. She was in her seventies and had been allergic, like deathly allergic to animals her entire life. So, but the thing is she loved animals, loved, like, I mean, still does, loves animals. As we were tapping, she remembered when she was 18 months old, her neighbors had a dog that they tied up outside and her and her siblings would tease the dog. So they throw food in the fence that the dog couldn't reach. They were like really nasty. They would taunt and, you know, kind of tease the dog a lot. And she remembered this. And then she just started crying. Like she was so upset that she was doing this, you know, when she was a toddler. And we worked on releasing that. And then her allergies were gone. She started taking horseback riding lessons. They adopted a dog. She was able to visit her children who had animals. It was insane. Like it was totally, it was amazing. One of my favorite stories. I, I love that story because, it, you know, so much of everything comes down to belief. And what we think is true could just be, you know, just like this poor woman who had, you know, something happen at age, you know, 18 months, just before she was two years old, that affected the rest of her life because of subconscious programming. I'm always saying to my members, you know, the women who come into the minnow system and, and, you know, start transforming their lives to, you know, what really is true. And unless it's true all the time, it's just something that's a belief and, and all beliefs can be changed. All mm -hmm. beliefs can be changed. It doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into religion, but at the end of the day, I mean, these are just sentences that people have said that we choose to say over and over again. And could it be that, that we just need to change a few words in that sentence and then we can get some freedom? Yes. You know, that's what I love about this. So let's talk about the tapping points. Where are the tapping points? What is the process? Okay. So with the process, we usually start with, you know, identifying something that we're working on. So we usually work on one of four things, physical pain, trauma, a limiting belief, or an emotional challenge, right? So there's four things usually. So we identify it. Then we tap on like the karate chop point, which is the side of the hand. And we say a starting statement, which is something like, even though I have this issue, this pain, this belief or whatever, I deeply and completely love and accept myself, or I'm doing a great job. Or now, how often do you find that people, you know, start doing this and say, you know, even though I have this experience, I completely love and accept myself, but they don't right? They don't completely love and them, accept themselves. And they're just going through the motions. And for the most part, people, you know, especially women in my world who have just years and years and years of maybe abuse or neglect or, you know, low self-esteem, you know, even with the tapping, I completely love and accept myself. And instead of really believing what they're saying, they're saying this, but it's more of a, like, I wish I wanted to want to. So that's a really, oh my gosh, I love your questions. <laughs> that is actually why I have, depending on who I'm working with, because I can kind of, you know, depending on life experiences, 
I usually say something like for the first session, maybe, or for the first half of the session, I usually will say, I'm doing the best I can, or I choose to believe I did the best I could. And I'm willing to learn something new. I'm willing to move forward. I'm willing to let go of the past. Definitely flexible. I've noticed, especially with men, with a lot of women too, they can't even say that. The words won't even come out of their mouth. So I never start with that. I'm like, let's say, you know, the first time I have, I don't even put those words out there because I don't want that to be a stumbling block in the beginning. So I would say, you know, to make it really safe, Something like I did the best I could until now and I'm moving forward Yeah, and I'm ready to let some stuff go. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to get to the next stage or what, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, that's a great question is it is a very hard thing for somebody to deeply and completely love and accept themselves. Right. No, that's yeah. not really good. All right. So now that we've identified something, well, let's say we're just going to talk about, you know, I've got chronic back pain. You know, we don't know why. Maybe it's because I had an accident or maybe I had a failed operation or maybe, you know, maybe I'm storing emotional pain there. <laughs> so I've got chronic back pain or I've got fibromyalgia. I mean, that we see a lot of women in menopause who start to get, they start to get autoimmune disorders. And, you know, I think that there's a psychological component there, not to say that they're creating them because I don't believe that. And I think the pain is real. But I also think that there is a psychological component to the pain that once we can realize what our medical society is, you know, our medical establishment is trying to do, we want to treat pain with narcotics rather than, you know, looking at what are some other things psychologically that we can do to to bolster our mindset. And again, I want anyone with chronic pain to understand that I know that you have pain and the pain is real, but brain is very powerful. And oftentimes our beliefs about the pain, once we can look at those, lift some of them, we can actually become free of a lot of the pain. That doesn't mean the pain will go away, but the beliefs about the pain can help. So let's say that we're doing chronic back pain and we're talking about, you know, we're doing, we're starting here. We're saying I've done the best I could up until now. And so what's next? So now we go through the process of actually processing the pain, the issue from the body. So, and I love what you were just saying there. The pain is definitely real. The one of the things with tapping is that it helps you put your body in the optimal healing state. So your body can start to help heal itself. I ride horses and I've had many bad, bad riding accidents and I have used tapping in almost every case to within two days, help my body completely heal, whatever. Like I, one time my doctor was like, you definitely broke your back. Like, you know, you need to go for x-rays or whatever. And I was like, give me two days. Let me just, you know, figure it out. And within two days it was gone. And so our bodies have an amazing power, amazing capability of healing ourselves. So with tapping, it helps magnify your body's innate ability to get into that rest, digest, healing state. So it can help tremendously. Like you said, it might not completely cure all pain or lift, you know, make your body pain free, but it definitely helps your body process the stress and any of the emotional components that are related. That's just causing a lot more pain and magnifying what's, what's bad and causing inflammation and things like that. So sure. In the next part of the tapping process, we go through the different tapping points. So we usually start you know, on the inside of the eyebrow, inside of the eye, under so the you're eye. So you're talking about like the, the Kutasha center. What is this called? The glabella. 
if this is the actual, the, the anatomical in yoga, it's like, I think Akasha, but I might have the wrong term, but so you start there. So yeah, we usually start Christ center is what it's called. You know, it's one, one of the ways that it's called. So I usually start like right on the side of the eyebrows. Okay. Right? However, I want to say quick note, when I was really struggling with vertigo and dizziness, I learned that this point, probably the one that you just said right in the middle of your mm-hmm. eyes, you press this for about two minutes. It's like a neurological reset of your entire body. I have used it for some of the craziest physical symptoms and it has worked every, like it has never let me down. It's amazing. Amazing. I'm so so red. I pushed there and now I've got this like red spot. (laughs) Yeah. So we start on the eyebrows, then on the side. Do Do you do both at the same time or you just do one? So you can, some people prefer like the symmetry of tapping with both hands, but you can use one hand if, if you want as well. Okay. So um, the eye, next to the eye, side so of the eye, eye. Like the fountain, the, the, where is this? Next to the eye. Yeah. Temples. On the temples, right? Yeah. Then or on the eye. zygoma or the, uh, the orbital floor is, is in the front of the orbital floor. And then under the nose, and the chin. Kids love this point. For some reason, tapping on the chin, it's just a really calming point for a lot of kids. Hmm. Collarbone. Collarbone. Right. Collarbone? Oh, yeah. So you can go up here, like where the collarbone yeah. is. And you can also go in the middle. Yeah, the middle of the, the sternum. Sternum, yep. Okay. And, and on the left side of your body, it's kind of... I guess it would be like maybe three inches, kind of like where you would put your your hand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. And if you rub there, that's called the sore spot. And that's a really great point. Like if somebody's having a, a panic attack or, or dealing with a lot of anxiety, rubbing the sore spot can be an incredibly calming point to start with. That's another point. And then we have under the arm, which is like kind of right around where your bra would be. Okay. And... We have that, and then the top of the head. So top of the head is where you end crown chakra. Yeah, and this is the basic tapping point. So there's tapping points on the hand, on the side of the fingers, on the wrist. Some people use like the back of the neck as one. So there's a lot of different ways to use the tool. It's very versatile and flexible. But that's like the basic tapping process. All right, so. Devil's advocate. It feels like a lot of hooey. So, <laughs> so, so you're saying that it's going to move the energy and it's going to help calm us down. And the only way to really find that out is to actually practice it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be really awful to you. I just, I'm just saying that I've had acupuncture. We know it works from from randomized clinical, you know, tr- studies. And I haven't seen, I haven't actually seen any randomized clinical stru- studies about tapping. But I would am- assume that it would work similarly because, you know, putting needles, needles hurt, you know. But like tapping to, you know, smoking cessation or tapping for emotional relief or tapping for anxiety, I, I can I can imagine that it that it actually really works. And in your case, you know, we know we have anecdotal evidence that it actually worked for you and all of your, all of your inflammation and symptoms went away and you were able to get pregnant. So I have to look at both sides. <laughs> to yeah, be, I know. love that you bring that perspective because, and that's exactly what, you know, I thought at first too, because I was, like I said, I was nowhere. My, I, I had no idea that there was this holistic world out there. One thing is 
you know, that I tell people who are like, I don't know, like it does seem really strange is I would say, try it. Next time you get a headache, next time you start to feel anxious, next time your brain kind of feels a little foggy and like, you're not able to access that creativity or that, like write that email or write that report, you know, and you're kind of like stuck, just give it a try. Yeah. See what happened. You know, for those women who are, are men and whoever's listening to the podcast are watching the, the YouTube channel, for those those people who are who are interested in doing this more, how can they add this to their everyday routine in less than five minutes? Okay. So I would say that put add tapping to something you're already doing where you're kind of like stuck. Let's say you're taking a shower. You're waiting for your conditioner to set or you're washing your hair or whatever. And you have 30 seconds. I would say just tap, tap in that downtime. Okay. So even if it's just 30 seconds, there's not like you have to tap for this amount of time to help your body process stress or release fear, release anxiety, add it wherever you can in those couple seconds here and there. Um, so if you're in the shower, that's a great time. If you're brushing your teeth, you can tap on the collar point, bone point or the sternum, right? The sternum or yeah. the, the sore spot you can rub there, but tapping on the sternum point that's kind of the furnace for your body. It's a really amazing way to help kind of press the reset button, activate your body's natural relaxation response. So you can do this as you're brushing your teeth. If you're driving in the car, you're, you're stuck at a red light. You can tap on the, the karate chop point. You can just tap mm-hmm. on your leg. Even as you're driving, you can just be tapping on your leg. But there's also something called imagine tapping, which is one of my favorite ways to tap and that's where you just literally imagine yourself tapping on the point. So this might not be some place where you start right away because you're still kind of learning the points in the process. But what you can do is you can imagine yourself tapping on your eyebrow point, side of the eye, under the eye, the nose, the, you know, under the nose, the chin, the sternum, the sore spot under your arm. You know, you can imagine yourself tapping on these points and it's 50 to 60% as effective. That's really interesting because that goes along with brain science. So the brain doesn't really know the difference between what's imagined and what's real. And that's why we can create our lives. That's why we can do just about anything we want to do. And the more we study the brain, the more we realize this. And so I really love that, you know, if you don't want to look like a weirdo doing this, <laughs> you know, I'm tapping my chin for those of you who are listening. I don't see people doing this in normal you know, I mean, meetings and whatnot, even even on Zoom, right? We do a lot of Zoom meetings now because we're in a pandemic. But, you know, you don't see a lot of people doing that. But one thing that people do do is I know people who chronically like, t- uh, like make their legs go up and down, right? And that can be so annoying for somebody who's sitting at the same table with them. If you have like one of those nervous habits, you could take that instead of doing your leg up and down, you could take your hand and tap it on your knee instead that may calm you down. But in terms of doing an imaginary tapping, imagine tapping, when you're able to access that part of your brain that is imaginative, you're starting to use the other side of your brain, but that can manifest in the physical reality because of your imagination. So it's really, really good. I think that's really key. I love that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to do. Well, there's something called surrogate tapping where you can tap for someone else I use that all the time for my four-year-old and well, for both of my kids, but there's also Michelle on the side of your fingertips, there are acupressure points. 
This is one of the most amazing things, most amazing gifts you can give to your kids is to teach them how to tap just using their fingertips. It's so easy. A three-year-old can do this and help their bodies process stress or anger, frustration, or anything like that. But like you said, if you're sitting in a meeting and you know, you're nervous or you're, you're starting to feel stressed or, or anxious, you can also just use the side of your fingers and go from, you know, point to point and also help your body calm down that way. So uh, that's yeah. great. Well, well, we've been, you know, we've been at it for a while. I thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? They can find me on Facebook at Dawn Pentec EFT or on my website, dawnpentec.com. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, this has been great. And, you know, I, I hope that we've helped people to discover a little bit more about how to calm down in times of stress. And, you know, right now there's a lot of stress because of the pandemic. And so hopefully we'll be able to, you know, help people in with this. Was there anything else you were hoping to share before we close? I'm on my website, I have a free mini course. It's about an hour that teaches five ways to, you know, to help your body release stress. So tapping is one of them, of course. But if anybody's interested in checking that out, they can. And then the other thing that I will say is, you know, wellness doesn't have to be hard. If you schedule a few seconds, a few minutes here and there during your day to focus on you and to focus on helping your body process things and let things go, you're doing amazing things for your health overall. So find out how you can optimize what you're already doing, how to make tweaks here and there to help bring self-care into what you do. That's great. I love it. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and being a part of the menopause movement. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is in the beta testing phase, and we are currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us in exchange for feedback and testimonials. In addition to the beta course, accepted applicants will have access to an online community of like-minded women for camaraderie, support, and to get your questions answered. But the best part is, because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the course. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and we can get started. I'll see you inside the course.